Today's episode of Unseen is sponsored by the Magnus Archives. If you're listening to Unseen, chances are it's because you love hearing a good story. And if you're looking for a new show to listen to as the days get colder and the nights get darker, why not try the most successful horror podcast in Europe? The Magnus Archives, produced by our friends at Rusty Quill, is a weekly horror fiction anthology podcast examining what lurks in the archives of the Magnus Institute, an organization dedicated to researching the esoteric and the weird. But, of course, the esoteric and the weird have a way of lurking right back. We here at Team Unseen really can't say enough good things about the Magnus Archives. It's one of the longest-running, innovative, and enduringly scary podcasts out there, with over 160 award-winning episodes to thrill and terrify you. As it nears the end of its fifth and final season, there's never been a better time to immerse yourself in the deeply strange world of the Magnus Institute. Check out the Magnus Archives at rustyquill.com slash the Magnus Archives. Make your statement. Face your fear. The following episode contains discussions of death and emotionally abusive parent-child relationships, as well as an instance of body horror. Listener discretion advised. Long Story Short Productions presents... Unseen. Episode 5 Are You Watching Closely? by Gabrielle Urbina suppose we should get this started. I want to thank you all for coming, some of you from very far away, to be here tonight. I mean, we even got some of the New Yorkers out here, and they don't come to the Bay Area unless it's a matter of life and death. <laughs> um, you'll have to pardon me if my hosting duties aren't completely up to snuff. I have to admit, I'm a bit rusty at it. I haven't had to deal with this many people since, well, since three years ago for the reception after the, um, the funeral. After the funeral. <clears throat> anyway, I think that most of you already know me, but just, um, in case, 
Hi, I'm Lawrence. Er, no, no I'm not. Sorry, I'm Larry. Lawrence is the name my father called me. But uh, in any case, Larry, yes, I'm the son. I thought I ought to say a few words, you know, before we get started with the main event. I was thinking that uh, I... Uh, sorry. Sorry, everything just went kind of blank for a second there. I guess we can all see why I work an office job instead of public speaking, right? <laughs> it's funny. You you ever have one of those thoughts that you just couldn't get out of your head? Like an earworm. Or that memory of the day in high school when you tried to ask Jill Katz if she wanted to go out with you, but before she could even answer, you realized it was all a terrible, terrible idea. And so you tried to turn around and run away, but instead you tripped and fell and split your pants. We've all got that memory, right? It's not just me. Okay, good. I was worried for a moment there. But these things, they have a way of just popping into your head at the worst times, don't they? Like, you're just going about your day, minding your own business. Maybe you stop at a coffee shop to get a small Americano, but then you feel a little hungry, so you ask how much the banana muffin costs, and the cashier says, it's $5, and you think, that's a little more than I'd like to pay for a muffin. But on the other hand, remember the way Jill tried to help you up, but you could see that she was trying so hard not to laugh? Because I remember... And, well, sometimes you get one of those things stuck in your head and it's like it's not even your thought, you know? It's something you heard somewhere or that someone told you once and it just stays in there, bouncing around. And then, when you least expect it, it's like, boom! It just muscles its way to the front, like the thought has a mind of its own. I was 11 when I first tried to do magic. Both of my parents were magicians, so I got the help I needed to get past the call when I was very little. But actually doing magic? That was up to me. And so I was sitting in the middle of the living room, going over this baby's first spell book my mom had gotten me, trying to figure out this wind incantation, and I'm just not getting it. I'm waving my arms, I'm doing the gestures, I'm saying the words, I'm trying to focus my mind, or unfocus my mind. I'm still not clear on which is the one that actually helps with persuasion. And... I'm not getting anywhere. But I'm persistent. I keep hammering away at it. I do the gestures. I say the words. I try again and again. And then I hear this voice over my shoulder. My father. And he just says, Well, are you going to do it? Or is this going to be another thing you give up on? Anyway, 
The reason I just took that little detour was because I just had one of those moments. When I said I was going to say a few words, sure enough, boom, right to the front. Well, are you going to do it? Or is this going to be another thing you give up on? Thanks, Dad. But, to answer the question he so brusquely asked back in 1999, I am going to do this. I am going to say a few words. So, yes, the man of the hour, my father, the great magical painter Vincent Holt. Have any of you not seen one of my dad's paintings? In person, I mean, not like pictures of them. Anyone? Really? Really? Wow. Well, Mr. Cole, you're, uh, you're really missing out. <laughs> See, there's two kinds of magical art. One is just, well, regular art, but a little gussied up. Paintings with a bit of glamour woven into them. Just a shot to make the reds a little redder, the blues a little brighter, that sort of a thing. Real showy and real eye-catching, but it's all surface and it fades fast. But behind door number two, that's where things get more interesting. That's where you get paintings that are, well, spellbinding. You look at them and you're just transported. And you don't take them in through your eyes, or not just with your eyes. They go straight to the mind. And they fill you up with a feeling, or a thought, a sense of a place, or a time. I guess what I'm saying is that these paintings really paint a goddamn painting. <laughs> they also sell for, I believe the technical term is, a gigantic crap ton of money. Hence, this lovely home in one of San Francisco's hippest neighborhoods. I tell you, growing up here, there's a whole lot of memories bound up in these walls. See, right over there? That's where my father used to have his drafting table. He'd sit there for hours on end, filling up his sketchbooks. And over there? That's where he used to hang up whatever new piece he'd just picked up at a Sausalito auction. Oh yes, he was a collector too. It was very important to him that everyone know about his excellent taste. Oh, and over there, this one's my favorite. That's where I used to sit, waiting in vain for any scrap of parental affection or attention, or just an acknowledgement of my lonely, miserable existence. <laughs> oh, what? Was that too much too quickly? Sorry. I never quite know when's the best moment to drop the whole, yeah, Vincent Holt may be the unseen world's favorite bad boy artist, but he sure was an awful father bomb. It's, it's fine, really. It is. People like my father, people who walk around with that aura of genius, 
who only get more interesting and allegedly more charming the more difficult they are, the more they push people away. That stuff's like cologne. It's so easy to convince yourself that it's a nice smell, not just a strong one. But sooner or later you realize the only reason it's there is to get noticed. And then, well, you kind of start to wonder what stink it's there to cover up, you know? So with all that said, why don't we get on with it? <clears throat> My father has been dead to me for the past 11 years. He didn't do anything dramatic. He showed up at all the places and all the times he was supposed to, but only just... And when he ducked out of my college graduation, summa goddamn cum laude, by the way, no big deal or anything, just to check out a gallery opening? Not even his gallery. Just a gallery? <laughs> that was it. That was the moment that stank. <sighs> now, certain people who I call traitors, thought I was being too harsh. They asked questions that had very hurtful words in them, like abandonment and pettiness. I countered these questions by acquiring new, better people in my life, ones who understood who had actually done the abandoning in this tale, and that sometimes pettiness is underrated. But that doesn't matter right now. As my small battalion of therapists have repeatedly told me, this is not about villains or victims. It's just about imperfect, hurt people hurting other imperfect people. And since no one is perfect, then the healing process shouldn't be about assigning blame, no matter how much of a cold, demanding, egotistical son of a bitch one of those people may be. But yeah, sure. No victims here. It's not that kind of story. Is it hard to completely cut your father out of your life, I hear you ask? Well, I'm here now, so that's kind of your answer right there. But yes, it's hard. It was very hard at first. Then, three years ago, it got easier. That is, of course, when he went from being dead to me to being kind of generally dead to everyone. <laughs> it was a weird day when I found out. I mean, I don't think anyone has a stunningly normal experience of finding out their estranged father has abruptly passed away, but mine was especially strange. I was living up in Seattle at the time, working as an assistant to this magician up there, it's never too hard to find a job when you can make it past the call, even if you can't do any magic yourself. Big, important people always need someone who can see things the way they do. I was having one of those days. It was cold and rainy and foggy, and I had to go all over the city. Meredith, that's a, that was my boss, she needed her dry cleaning picked up. Which, by the way, it's always been wild to me what magicians can and can't do. Like, this woman can walk on air 
She is not constrained by the laws of gravity, but she still needs to get her pantsuits done at Tower Cleaners because... I guess soap suds just don't speak to her the same way? Magic is weird, man. So I go and I pick up the dry cleaning when suddenly, ring ring, it's Meredith. She just realized that they're out of mercury and she needs it for some hermetics demonstration she's doing later on that afternoon. So now I've got to, number one, drop off the dry cleaning. Number two, pick up some mercury. Okay, that's fine, not a problem. Larry, the assistant, is on it. So I haul ass halfway across the city, but then, ring ring, Meredith again. They called from the auto shop and her car's detailing is done. So could I pick it up and drive it to her apartment? And in my head, I'm going, woman, you can fly. Like you and the bird population of Seattle can exchange aviation tips. You never need to get stuck in traffic ever. Why in the name of God do you have a car? Of course, what I actually said is you got it. So I have to one, drop off the dry cleaning. Two, grab some mercury. Three, pick up her car. I'm on it. No, wait, hang on. She's texting me now. An important client of hers is on the line and just told her that they're coming to the city. So I need to book a hotel room for them. Somewhere merfolk friendly. Okay. Okay, got it. New list. Number one, book a... No. Number one, research what it means for a hotel to be merfolk friendly. Number two, book a hotel room. Number three, drop off the dry cleaning. Number four, pick up the ring ring. Hi, Meredith. What do... What's that? Get you that new book on wonderworking? From the occult library up in Windermere? All the way across town? No problem. I'm on it. Number one, research. Two, hotel. Three, dry cleaning. Four, mercury. Although maybe the book is more important. It's definitely more important than the car since, again, she can fly. But maybe I can ring, ring. Holy crap. Is she calling again? What? Meredith, what do you need now? Except it wasn't Meredith that time. It was my mother to let me know that my father had just passed away suddenly and unexpectedly in a magical art-related accident. There was another long silence after that, like she was expecting me to say something. So I just said, okay, and then I hung up. And you might think, friends, that I had one of those moments where I just stopped. And everything I had been doing just seemed so banal and stupid and meaningless. But, nah, that would have been doing a disservice to years of therapy. So I got back on the central link. Back to my to-do list. One, research. Two, hotel. Three, dry cleaning. Four, wait a minute, did she just say magical art-related accident? What the hell is a magical art-related accident? No, n never mind. I don't care. Five. Mercury. Six. Oh, God. There's going to be a funeral. Am I going to have to go to the funeral? Oh, that's not going to be good for anyone. I should call Dr. Chambers. Seven. Call your therapist. Remember to call your therapist. This is why you have a therapist, because we don't deal with these things on our own. That's falling back on familiar destructive patterns. Eight. Something about a car 
ah, who can remember? Nine, did I just tell my mom okay when she called me about her husband of 39 years passing away in a magical art-related accident? That's not okay, is it? It's probably not okay. I should call her back. Well, not call her back, but I should send her something. A message or flowers and flowers. A message with flowers. I spent the next three hours riding Seattle's mass transit system, putting together the short, snappy, yet heartfelt message that arrived at my mother's front door the following morning. I stressed how sorry I was for her loss. Her loss. I was fine. The man had been dead to me for eight years already. I like to think she appreciated it. By the time I remembered the rest of my to-do list, both the library and the alchemical supply shop were closed, and I'd somehow misplaced two of the pantsuits I'd picked up at the dry cleaners. <sighs> Vivisecting alchemical osmosis, by the way. Just in case you were curious. It took them a while to figure out what exactly had happened, never mind what to call it, but... That's what they settled on at the end of the day. That's how you die in a magical art-related accident, apparently. Vivisecting alchemical osmosis. Pfft. See, the way my father worked, he would hermetically dissolve these items into the canvases he painted. Like, if he wanted to paint a beach or something, he might take, I don't know, some sand and a conch shell and a little bit of ocean water and he'd use magic to break it down, right down to the molecules. And they'd go into the painting. That was part of the secret. Why his paintings felt so real. There really was a little bit of the world in them. Of course, the key was that he only put some of what he was painting into it. If he was making a beach, he didn't put in the sticky kelp or the jellyfish that stings you the second you dip your toe into the water or the second-degree sunburn you get, even though you practically bathed in sunscreen. None of that went in. It was life's greatest hits. Everything else got shaved off. Now, you, a sensible person, might ask, well, hang on a second. Might magically breaking down the very bonds that hold bits of the world together be dangerous? To which the answer is... Yeah, no, duh. Over and over, people told him he shouldn't be doing this himself. He should really be working with a guild-sanctioned hermeticist, someone who actually knows this stuff. But he just went, It's fine. It's fine. I know what I'm doing. And everyone else just went, Okay, just be careful. This sort of thing could kill you one day. It's wild. The things we think are okay just because we grow up around them. If your entire life you saw your dad going up to a tiger, slapping it across the face and stealing its food, you might think, well, I guess that's just something my dad does. You might not realize just how narrowly they're avoiding death every time they do it until all of a sudden you realize it. Sooner or later, the tiger's gonna tiger. Nobody knows exactly how he messed up. 
Maybe he just got the formulas wrong. Maybe he added too much energy to the mix. Maybe he was just drunk off his ass. Don't drink in magic, folks. We already lose too many people every year. Whatever it was, something went wrong. He'd wanted to paint the Embarcadero. He'd been wanting to do it for ages. Something that captured both sides of the place. The seen and the unseen worlds. Walking in parallel through the same streets. <sighs> Cities were difficult for my dad. He used to talk about it all the time. What do you put into a painting to capture the soul of a city? Is it a kind of stone? A kind of metal? A flower? A smell? How do you pick a perspective for something that, well, everyone has a perspective on? Well, for reasons that were clear only to him, my father decided that the thing to do it, the thing that would bring it all together was fish. Yep, goddamn fish. A salmon, specifically. Nope, I don't get it either. And he didn't exactly get a chance to explain his thinking on that one. The last of the fish had just gone into the canvas when suddenly, well, something went wrong. You know that feeling when your fingers go a little tingly? It's not pain, it's just like tiny ants are running over the surface of your skin. So you try to get a look and, well, that's strange. Why can't you take your hand off the canvas? And so you frown and you think to yourself, what in the... But you don't finish that thought because that's when your ring finger dissolves into a small cloud of flesh-colored dust that settles on the canvas for just a second before it sinks down into the pure, clean, awaiting white. Your wedding ring makes this little clink sound as it lands on the ground since, hey, the finger that was holding it up isn't there anymore. But you don't hear it. You're too busy screaming because you're realizing how bad this is and oh God, it's getting faster. Now half your hand is gone and oh wait, yep, there's the pain. Your body must actually be registering the way it's being magically shredded into nothingness by now. So every nerve ending in your body is screaming at you to do something for God's sake. And so you try, you really try, but this damn thing is like quicksand. The harder you pull, the faster you're getting sucked in. And every time you try to pull back, you see more bits of you get pulled off more and more of the dust that you are very rapidly returning to is rising up into the air before it gets sucked into the canvas. You know, it's like... Whoops! There went your shoulder! That's half your hair! Whoops! And now your chest is bubbling away into nothingness. And around here, you stop screaming, not because you want to stop, but because there's not enough of your mouth still left in a mouth-like shape for you to be able to scream. And your mind is racing, racing to think of how to stop this, of anything that you can do to stop this, even as you are dimly aware of your rib cage falling away and your heart starting to dissolve. But no matter how hard you try, 
all you can think of is, oh God, it's getting even faster as your face is pulled in towards the canvas and you can't even think anymore because what's left of your body doesn't feel like a single thing anymore. It feels like a thousand tiny spindly things. And so the last thought that you have is that, my God, you're so close to the canvas now that you can't see anything else, which is honestly par for the course since you can feel your eyes starting to lose their shape. So it's just white, just endless white forever and ever. You know that feeling? Well, my father knew that feeling. He knew it pretty well. There wasn't much left of him. Most of his left leg and right foot were still there, but the rest of him was just, well, blank. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I can't tell you how many times when I was a little kid, my dad would walk through the house, see me watching television, and give me this look like I was this big. And he'd always say, I can't believe you just sitting there when I'm here slaving away, pouring my literal blood, sweat, and tears into my art. Every time he said it that way. Literally. Literally. It used to bug the crap out of me. I'm more okay with it now. Now that, you know, one of his paintings has his literal blood, sweat, and tears, not to mention a whole bunch of other things in it. What? Come on. It's okay. I'm the neglected, psychologically warped child. I'm allowed to make these jokes. You're allowed to laugh at them. I know, I know. No villains, no victims in this story. It's just life. Until it isn't. Then it's the other thing. I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting off topic. Let me just uh <clears throat> let's see, let's see. What's the next that I need to Ah yes, right, 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 right. Okay, back on track. <clears throat> When I was nine, I asked my father why he liked painting, why it's what he wanted to do with his life. And that was, I think, the only time my dad ever looked at me like I was worth the trouble of hiring a nanny to raise me. And you know what he said? Because we're all connected. We're all connected, all of us. There are these forces that work around us, with us, through us, and they change the way we work, the way we walk, the way we buy and sell and give gifts on people's birthdays, even the way we think. They even change what we think. And folks, I didn't like my father a lot by that point, but that was the first time I went, oh, He's crazy. <laughs> and I think he saw it on my face. 
how I wasn't buying it. And then he told me something I've never forgotten. He said, no, really. He means it. There are forces out there that put things in our heads. And if I don't believe him, pay attention to this. Are you watching closely? Are you watching closely? How many people in the unseen world say that phrase? Over and over again. Every time they can. Hell, even when it doesn't make any sense. It's like, Hello, welcome to Steve's Magic Diner. Do you know what you'd like to order today? Are you watching closely? Because I'd like to have the French onion soup. It's like, what is going on? But he wasn't wrong. That's there. And knowing about it doesn't stop it. I still say, are you watching closely? All the time. I can't help myself. Someone or something put that out into our collective subconscious. And who knows how many years later, it's still echoing out of our mouths. And I got to give it to my narcissistic old man. He was right about that one. Not all our thoughts are our own. And once he realized that, he wanted to be one of the people putting these thoughts out into the universe. He thought, hey, maybe I can send out some good echoes. I think about that a lot. Because you know what he wanted to call that last painting? The one that killed him? Are you watching closely? Pretty eerie, right? Um, and, well, there's not much to tell after that. My father, who had been dead to me for a very long time, passed away. I didn't get anything in the inheritance, of course. He left it all to my mother, but she didn't hang around much longer after he left. I think maybe she didn't know what to do without someone to yell at her all the time, and that she could yell herself horse right back at. She passed away about eight months ago. And she, wacky prankster that she was, thought it would be a good idea to leave me, well, everything. The house, the studio, the estate, the bank account, the works. And at first, I didn't want anything to do with it. But then I remembered, oh right, I'm poor. So I moved in last March. There was this moment when I was moving in. Movers were bringing in a lot of my stuff from Seattle and taking out some of my parents' things. And one of them pointed to this canvas. And it was the canvas. The white canvas for the Are You Watching Closely? And he asked me, What do you want us to do with that one? You want us to take it into storage? Or you could get it framed and mounted if you want. And, you know, I thought to myself, That painting, that pure white void of canvas. That's the thing that killed my father. That thing is the reason why he's no longer walking and talking and being a person out in the world. I am absolutely going to get it framed and mounted on my wall. <laughs> and that was the moment, I suppose. The moment I asked for it. At first, 
I thought it was just, you know, sense memory. I'd moved back to the house where I'd grown up. It was only natural that I'd start to remember certain things more vividly. That certain things that had been in black and white for a while were suddenly in technicolor. But it's more than that. It's little things. A strong opinion about how a dish is put away here. A burst of anger at something in the news there. All over things I've never cared about. But the longer I've been here, the more it's happened. I'll blink, and just like that, boom, something will muscle its way to the front of my mind. A thought that feels old and lived in even though I've never had it. Or I'll consider doing something, anything, picking up a hobby, asking someone out on a date, and suddenly it's right there. Well, are you going to do it or is this going to be another thing you give up on? I introduce myself as Lawrence now. I have never in my life thought of myself as Lawrence. And sometimes at night, I wake up with a start, my heart racing because I just had a nightmare about a pure, perfect white that stretches on and on and on. You remember that feeling I talked about earlier? With the tingling and the fear and the pain and the dissolving into nothingness? I think I know that feeling, even though I really, really shouldn't. My father has been dead to me for a very long time. Three years ago, he actually died. But I think as long as I have this canvas, he's less dead to me than I need him to be. Which is where all of you come in. See, I'm not an artist. I'm certainly no painter. Maybe I could have been, but I've got too much stuff knocking around in my head telling me I'm not. But you... You are some of the most accomplished art dealers and collectors and painters in the unseen world. All of you worked with my father on multiple occasions, and anecdotal evidence suggests he hated each and every one of you. I trust that, at least for the majority of you, the feeling is mutual. In fact, I'm banking on it. See, I'm hoping that one of you will be able to make something out of this. Beautiful, isn't it? Look at all that pristine whiteness. So, friends, the question before us is this. Who among you would like the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to paint over the very essence of Vincent Holt. Who would like to finally turn him into something productive? Who wants to cover up the last of his stink? Who is up to that challenge? And how much are you willing to pay for that privilege? Shall we start the bidding at, say, 500,000? Excellent.
This has been Unseen by Long Story Short Productions. Based on an original idea by Gabrielle Urbina, with additional conceptual design work by Sarah Shackett. Today's episode was written and directed by Gabrielle Urbina, with script editing by David K. Barnes. It starred Zach Valenti in the role of Larry Holt. Original music by Alan Rohde and sound design by Zach Valenti. Unseen is produced by Sarah Shackett, Zach Valenti, and Gabrielle Urbina, along with Angel Acevedo, Jen Schneider, and Amy Tanguay. For more information on the Unseen world, please visit unseen.show. Thank you for listening. You're still listening. Sweet. Hey, Unseen producer Zach Valenti here with a quick ask. First, if you love the show, we'd love to know. Please take a moment while it's still fresh to rate and review the show wherever you listen, in particular Apple Podcast. Second, we decided to make this series to bring a little magic into a world that we felt could really use some. Please consider sharing this episode with someone or someones who brings magic to your life. You can tell them there's a message for them at the end of the episode. <clears throat> On behalf of whoever brought you here, 2020's been, well, a friggin' roller coaster. But being on the ride with you has made it so much easier dealing with the ups and downs. <clears throat> so long as we're all still here, I also wanted to shout out all 1,162 of our Kickstarter backers who made this show possible. And if you weren't a backer but would like to support the show retroactively, visit unseen.show support. If you ever want to say hi, the show is on Twitter at unseen.show. Shout out to all the incredible artists who've been sharing their fan work with us. All right, that's all for now. We'll be back next week with episode six, Fire in the Sky. <laughs>